All righty, you guys. Let's come on back. We're going to look into Romans. And we'll have plenty of time to hang out afterwards. As we get ready to go through the book of Romans, this is going to be a long book. We're going to do about a chapter a week for a, quite a while. It'll take us all the way to like May something. So let me pray really quick. Father, I just ask that as we study your word that you would let it study us. And I pray that you would, as Kevin said, we've died to things and given up things and realized the purposelessness of a lot of things in our lives. Lord, and I pray that you would rebuild into us the things that do have purpose and that have structure and through this study, Lord. And I pray for encounter with you, that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name, and that you would set apart this time as we study, and that you would bless the children as they're encountering you as well, Lord, and bless the teachers that are over there with them and help them to uh, understand what it is you're speaking and help us to understand as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, this is a long book, and so we'll be in it for a while, and I'm going to give some background information today, but there'll be other background information that will just kind of come up over the times because we don't, you know, there's a capacity issue. We don't want to like get into too much nitty gritty, but you need to have some understanding of who this is, what they're talking about, and where this is coming from, okay? So just some background. Uh, Paul, the apostle, is the writer of this. Paul wrote a lot of books in the New Testament. You might remember we just went through Ephesians, and he wrote that. And so Paul, just a little background on him is... Paul, was, when we run into Paul, uh, he's in the book of Acts, and he's originally named Saul, uh, and he's a persecutor of Christian people. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty intelligent, connected Jewish uh, rabbi-type guy, and he's like not liking what these Christian people are doing. They're going around telling people about Jesus, and he's seeing them as taking them away from the Jewish faith, and he's like, that's not good, and we're going to stop that. And so he's a part of a group of people that are resisting uh, that happening, and they're resisting it pretty intensely, like including arresting people, beating people, and in at least one instance, we see when Stephen's being stoned, he's at least participating in the stoning of a guy or the killing of a guy for sharing his faith. And so um, God looks down and says, that's the guy I want to be my, <laughs> my apostle to the Gentiles. <laughs> and in Acts 9, Paul runs into Jesus, and you'll see this. Meanwhile, Paul or Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous threats. That's pretty intense stuff. So... He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, blah, synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is Christian people, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's, that's a, that's a wake-up call. And he says, who are you, Lord? And, and uh, Saul asked, and I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied, which Paul, I'm sure, was thinking, oh, crap, that was his, it's not in there. I, I added that part. <laughs> but knowing what he was up to, that's, that's, he's like, that's not a good, that's not a good day. Um, but Jesus continues, like, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So he's not even like, you know, he's, he's asserted himself enough, you know, and Paul can't see. Y'all know, some of y'all know the story. And he gets there, and he's realizing his whole life was messed up. And he was on the wrong team, if you will. And he was fighting against God, and God himself decided to come talk to him about it. And he was like, oh, my gosh, what have I been doing? And he's blind now because of this light, and he's like, 
rethinking everything. Meanwhile, God tells another guy, hey, you need to go pray for this Paul guy. And the other guy's like, you know, you're God and all, but that guy's been killing people, so maybe you got the, something mistaken, you know. And anyways, and God says to Ananias, who's got to come pray for Paul to get his eyesight back and everything. He says to him, he's like, no, this guy was a bad guy, but now he's my instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he goes and prays for him. Paul gets his eyes back, and then he starts working with the church. But he, God had decided when Paul was breathing out murderous threats, well, that's the guy for the job. I need somebody that can take this gospel message to the world. That's the right guy. The NIV calls him the instrument to, to, to bear one, or instrument to, I can't remember exactly what it says, but his God's instrument to bringing the, you know, the gospel to the Gentiles. The, the King James talks about him to be the bearer, bearing God's name to the Gentiles, you know, this whole story. And it made me think, we are, you are God's instrument too. They're like, do you know who you are to bear his name to or for? Now, not all of us have had quite an experience that Paul did, you know, but we're, we're not out of the list. God has you to bear his name to someone in this world or someones, maybe lots of someones, you know. And just because you go, well, who am I? Paul would have said exactly that. He'd be like, well, I actually know who I am. I'm against this thing. Like, no, you're not. You're about to write half of the New Testament. You'd be like, what? You know, that wasn't the conversation, but you get the point. But see, Paul's an intelligent guy, and he's connected in society. And he's uh, probably what you would call upper middle class. So he's uh, intelligent, con- he's educated, he has means, he has connections. These things come out in the book of Acts. Our youth group is doing a Bible study on the book of Acts right now, which is a perfect time to be doing it because you're going to be seeing a lot of the same stuff showing up. And, um, and actually, because of that... Uh, Well, anyway, Paul, Paul, so what Paul does is he travels around to different cities, and he helps them start churches, and he gets into a lot of trouble in the book of Acts. It's a fun book, and, um, but then churches start, and then he writes letters to them to help keep things going, like, hey, remember when I was with you guys, and all this stuff was happening, but I've heard you've had some trouble with this, and here's a letter to, like, you know, help that, and Romans is one of these kind of books. Well, Paul hasn't been to Rome yet when he writes this one, as you'll see, um, it's probably this book, or this letter, this was originally a letter to the church in, in Rome. It was probably written when Paul was in Corinth in uh, Acts 20. That's where he is. He's there for like the winter, and he probably writes that letter then, which is about AD 57, 58, like that kind of transition period. Paul's writing this letter and sending it to him. And Paul's on his way to, he's trying to get to Spain. Like Paul's like, I'm, the, I, I'm, the, I'm the carrying the gospel to the world. Like, and the edge of the world over there was... Spain and Portugal, he's like, I'm going there. You know, it wasn't called Spain then, but, you know, he's like, that's where I'm headed, you know. And he wants to go by Rome on the way. So this is partially a letter to, like, hey, guys, I'm coming, <laughs> you know. Um, this is the longest letter in the New Testament. And an interesting fact, which I think is worth just noting to have in our mind, because it is a letter. It's correspondence. It's a letter sent from Paul to these guys. But it wasn't just like a, an email. Like, he didn't just sit down and go, here's a, you know, send. You know, it's not like that. Like, actually... Craig Keener was talking about this, that to send this letter as we have it today would probably cost in today's dollars about $2,000 to have it written out and to buy all the stuff and to pay the people to write it. So it wasn't like a simple, you know, note. It was very thought through and very intentional. 
I doubt he knew that we'd still be reading it 2,000 years from now, but it was important. It was a serious thing. You know, it was a $2,000 letter, you know. And there's main themes in this book because it bounces around. Paul is addressing that there's two groups predominantly in this church in Rome that aren't getting along very well. There's the Jewish group and the Gentile group. And there's some thoughts as to why that is. But the church, like Pastor Kevin had noted, that in Acts 2, when the church, as we know it, starts, Jesus rises from the dead, and then he ascends to heaven. He's like, hey, guys, you know what's going on now, what Jesus has come and done. He's like, and I'm going to have you guys take that message to the whole world and tell everybody about what I just did. But you need to go back to Jerusalem, wait, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Don't go without it. He says this. So they go back and wait. And then in Acts 2, you see the Holy Spirit falls on them, you know, the tongues of fire thing. And then they go out and they're preaching. And people are like, how are these guys preaching in all these different languages in this whole thing? And it says specifically in there, there was visitors from Rome. And there's a, Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this. He noticed this, that how there was a big Jewish presence in Rome. Rome was a big city back then. You know, it's probably, it's still a big city we know of now, but it was like a big city then, important and all these kinds of things. And like a big city, had lots of different groups of people. There's a big Jewish community there. Some of those people were back in Jerusalem for Passover. They hear, or Passover, the Feast of Weeks, or yeah, yeah. They came back and they were like, hey, what's this going on? And then they go back to Rome and probably start the church that we're still talking about now. And it has a big, and it starts predominantly among the Jewish people. And then a lot of Gentile, Gentile just means everybody else, right? And uh, so the other people started joining. And so there was kind of, how are we going to worship? And there's going to be some of like kind of Jewishy stuff, and some of it's kind of not Jewishy stuff. And then there's a period of time, and some of the people debate about this, but maybe the Jewish people had gotten kind of kicked out of Rome, not the Christian Jewish people particularly, just the Jewish people, you know, when they got swept up in that too. And then when they came back, the church had kind of turned maybe anti-Jewish. And they were like, hey, wait a minute, this was like our thing. I thought we were cool. And they're like, well, we are, but we don't want to do that stuff anymore. And, and so they were kind of having this like two groups fighting, like the kind of non-Jewish group being like, we don't want to do all the Jewishy stuff. And all Jewish people going like, yeah, but what are we supposed to do? And you see this in the book of Acts. They actually had councils to discuss this stuff. It wasn't like obvious what you were supposed to do. They were kind of going, well, we've been doing this for quite some time. And you know that Jesus guy we're all talking about, he's Jewish. So, you know, and these, you know, that, and these other people are going, well, yeah, but I'm not. And they're going, well, what does that mean? So this, that's a big deal. And they were having to sort it out. Paul's writing this letter knowing they're struggling with this. And it speaks specifically often to that tension, the Jewish group within the Gentile group and how that church could function together. But it also speaks about any groups of people that are having a hard time in the same sort of way. So the main way he's talking about it is between Jew and Gentile, but it could be any other group or groups not getting along. And so we can hear that because he speaks a lot about elitism or some idea that, like, I'm better than fill-in-the-blank, you know, and the kind of thoughts that go along with that. <laughs> and you'll see pretty quick. Paul doesn't give a lot of room for thinking that way because, like I said, Paul's sneaky. He's kind of smart. He's writing a letter. He's like, guys, this is great. Let me tell you a few things because he's heard some things, even though he hadn't been there yet. And the way he addresses this whole thing, and this is the big theme of the book, two groups of people that don't get along. Paul's laying out how you should get along. And all of that comes into light of the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done. He's like, you don't come to Jesus with all this presumption. Like, I, I mean, I know I need Jesus, but you really need him. more. You know, like, that's not how this works. You know what I mean? And Paul makes that very explicitly clear over the course, the coming chapters. And also this, I'm going to say one, this one last thing in an intro, that Romans is a feisty book. And because of that, 
people have a lot of thoughts. We've had this book for 2,000 years of people trying to follow Jesus and read this book, and people have a lot of thoughts about it, and not all of them are, go together. Like, you could go to the bookstore and grab a Romans commentary book and open it and start reading it and then do and grab another one and go, wait, that guy said literally the opposite of what this guy just said. And this guy's saying, like, that doesn't even make sense, you know. And so, to the point that earlier this week, I was actually angry about some of the things I was reading, you know. And so, I will spare you my anger. But I will tell you this. As I share, I will try to include some varying views of these sorts of things. And I'll give you what I have best, okay. And if it sounds different than something you've talked about, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. And as we go through this book, other people are going to share some too. And they'll give you their best, okay. But if... It provokes a thought or a question or something you never heard. Go look it up, okay? Or come talk to Pastor Kevin or me or the person who shares. These are things that people have been arguing about <laughs> for a long time, and I was angry even this week. So that's enough of that. We'll go through some of this intro stuff. There are other parts that we'll need to address, too, just so we have some context. Because you read a book like this, you need to know it was written by a guy at a time for a reason to communicate something. And that's the main point of it. And then the extra stuff we get out of it is like bonus. It's not like, well, whatever I think it means is what it means. It's like, that's not really how the world works. You know, you can't read the newspaper like that. You shouldn't read the Bible like that. And so it is important that we know this stuff. But let's start reading it now. Uh, Romans 1, verse 1. This is the intro. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which I just told you that story. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament reference, regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes to faith in Jesus' name. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That probably would be summed up in our modern language as something like, Dear Romans. That's what that, <laughs> that was the intro part. Or more accurately, it'd be more like it'd be like this, sup, bro. So, <laughs> but Paul's already jamming a whole lot of stuff in there to make clear who he is, what's going on, all the things. We, he, these are all obvious things we're all supposed to already believe together as he's greeting everyone. And um, but the big thing that sticks out about this intro when he says grace and peace, these words in English, you go, yeah, cool, grace and peace. I go, cool, grace and peace. But what he did there is he's already trying to reach out. He has two groups of people that are kind of mad at each other. There's the Gentile group and there's the Jewish group. And one of these words, the grace word, is a Jewish word. And the, and the peace word is a Roman word. So Paul's already starting to push these two groups back together. He's not saying grace to you. And people are going to see, he's talking, he's more us than he is you. Like, you need to stop. Or, you know, he's doing both. Grace and peace to you. And he's already laid out all of these things about who Jesus is, the Son of God, and who we are as his followers, and how he's including everybody in that. So he's already poking at people with his sup, bruh, 
you know, he's already messing with everybody. But Paul hadn't been here yet. And it's not like, don't worry, we watch the web stream. We know what you're like. They, don't, they know of Paul, but they don't know him, right? So he needs to kind of address that. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. The church, he knows about them just like they know about him. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Like, I've been trying to. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually be be encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So he's saying, like, I'd like, I wanted to come. I've been trying to come, but I just haven't been able to come. But I'm really excited because I know y'all have stuff, and I want to see, and y'all, you know, I want to do stuff with you guys, and it's going to be great. You know, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is kind of a famous Bible verse here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I would emphasize everyone on that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. He's talking about everyone. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Again, now he's pushing the groups together again. But he's very aware of these, the groups. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, not ashamed of the gospel. It's an interesting thing to talk about and think about. It's something nobody would want to admit or even think that, like, I have to bring that up. But quite frankly, a lot of us live most of our lives probably in some form of being ashamed of the gospel because it's, you know, it doesn't fit into society or people will look down. Or, I don't even know what it is. You know, Paul's just reminding everybody, I'm not ashamed of this. It's the only thing that we got that's worth anything. The gospel is the only thing we got. The world will tell you, just like we've been going through Ecclesiastes, all these other things are in charge. He goes, I've realized they're not, and this is the only thing we have. And it made me think this. A year ago this week was when the Asbury Revival thing was going on. It was, when it was right when it started. And Jeff was texting me like, hey, there's this thing. You might want to check it out. And then, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But it needed to say that... What I think happened myself, and this is just what I think happened, is just all of a sudden a group of people, a critical mass of people, were not ashamed of the gospel. They just, that just happened. Like it just, they weren't, they might have been ashamed, and then they weren't. They realized what Paul's realized, like, this is the only thing we got. And it all clicked for a group of people, and then it kept clicking for more and more people. And if you go, well, did God do that? Or was it just emotion? I was like, I have no idea, but if it's emotion, I'll take it. All day. Like, that's the best use of emotion I can think of. The sudden realization of the truth of who God is and what it was doing to transform people's lives when we did visit, which I'll talk more about in a minute. But 
I need it, we need it, and that kind of thing. This sudden, or it doesn't have to be sudden, but a non a, a realization of the reality of the need of the gospel, and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's the power of God. But then it go, he goes into this thing. Salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. Everyone who believes is the salvation of first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And you're like, what is he doing there? Remember the two groups we got going on. And he's, he's reminding everybody of these things. And I, I got this list here. I think it's a really good list from John Piper. He's like, what would first to the Jew kind of mean? He's like, well, they're the historic chosen people of God. Like we're going through the book of Exodus. That was the, the Israelite, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. That was them. And there are things which have obviously we've all learned from that and they apply to us in some ways as well. But it was them, the historic people of God that God had set apart for a purpose from Abraham on. And the promise came through. They, are the, they were the guardians of God's special revela- revelation, the Old Testament. Scriptures are all Jewish. The Messiah and Savior Jesus comes to the world as a Jew to Jews. The salvation is from the Jews, since everyone who is saved is saved by being connected to the covenant of Abraham by faith. The, old, we call, the reason we call it the Old Testament is, is there's a New Testament that connects all Gentile believers to this Old Testament, you know? Um, the Jews are to be evangelized first when the gospel penetrates a new region. You see Paul and them modeling this in the book of Acts. They go first to the synagogues, and then they get kicked out most of the time, and then they go to everybody else, you know, and they're like, well, we tried to talk to you guys, but you didn't listen. You know, this is some of the things that happen in the book of Acts. And then you'll see some later in the book of Romans that Jews will enter first into final judgment and final blessing. So there's a priority that he's still, Paul is still recognizing this distinction between these two groups. It doesn't mean that Jews don't need to be saved. It doesn't mean that the, the, yeah, that's actually what the rest of got the book of Romans is going to be about, is this kind of bringing together that we're all level at the foot of the cross. But there is a, a historic priority that he's acknowledging here. And it's all setting everybody up to, you know, he wants people to feel as they read to go, yeah, right. And then be like, yeah, right. And then he kind of knocks that whole thing down. <laughs> you go, oh, <laughs> I thought I was being, you know, again, elitism, you know. Every time you'd say something, people are like, yeah, he's talking about me, you know. But he's setting it up right now. And, it, and you can see that because he gets really intense really fast, this remainder of the book here. Uh, it goes like this. The heading on mine is God's wrath against sinful humanity. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and the wickedness of people. This is God making uh, his reaction to the evil of the world, which God can't be cool with, or else he wouldn't be God or good or right. It's the thing of saying, like, how does God allow bad things to happen in this world? It's like, well, he doesn't ultimately. That's what his wrath is, getting rid of that. So God, the, the, his wrath is being revealed against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It says, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He's saying that everybody has a conscience. Everybody knows right and wrong. You know, there are cultural things that are different from culture to culture, but everybody knows that something is wrong and that there is such a thing as wrong and that I shouldn't do it and that I am doing it. And he's saying nobody doesn't know that. That's what he's saying, without excuse. You can't be like, well, I, I didn't know there was such a thing as right and wrong. They're like... Everybody knows that. Like, that's from, like, the first fairy tale that, like, it, everybody knows that. 
it was definitely more, he would be referencing a Greek sinful area. And particularly, he's not just talking about homosexuality. He's talking about like abusive kinds that might fit the category of rape and stuff like that. So he's trying to make a case of a very, very bad thing that this is the kind of things that people do. So like child molestation would be the kind of categories he's trying to make here. Because he wants people to go, yeah, this is what people do without God. Look how bad they are. And then he switches really quick and starts listing off a whole lot of other stuff because he's already made everybody go, yeah, like, look at these people. And they try to, like, you could, like, mentally pile on, like, thank God I'm not like them, right? Thank God I'm not like that. Then he goes, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness evil, greed, and depravity. So he's defining this homosexuality and specifically abusive homosexuality as a key example of this depraved mind and every kind of evil wickedness and greed and depravity so that people would be just kind of disgusted and like, this is terrible. Then he starts to list off other things that might go alongside that. And people go, oh, wait, 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 what? You know, so filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy. Uh, which might be the starter for Instagram. You know, you're like, if you've looked at that, you've been envious. So you're right there with, the, you, you see what he's doing here? Envy, murder, which Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. That's talking about things that aren't your business to other people. I think everyone knows what gossip is. Hello? Hello? Remember how you felt about the guy? This is the thing. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent and arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Like, I found a new way to do this. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to take a sip of coffee on that one. No, I'm just kidding. My kids are great. But they are. Don't lie. Um, I lost my place now. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteousness, God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So like Paul has intentionally mixed this list up to get everybody off. They're like, well, hold on, what are you talking about now? You know? And this is next week's chapter, but just really quickly, the first verse of next chapter 2, he says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, do the same things. You who pass judgment, do the same things. He's like, you don't do the whole list, but there's this idea of coming in with elitism, you know, self-righteousness. You can't come to God with self-righteousness. And it usually kind of builds up over time. We might talk about the prodigal sons. We might talk about that stuff as we get, uh, you know, further down the chapters. But this idea that you need God's grace, but I don't because I'm good. I'm good. They bad. It's the way it is. And that's what this whole book is going to be about. And it's going to be challenging and pointed, as you can see. He doesn't like to mix words. And it's good. I think we need it. Because if we call ourselves Christian, if we bear the name Christ, 
we claim to follow Jesus, and we've been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our acceptance and faith in that, we cannot be not reconciled with each other. That's it. So as we go through this, I want you to think about who do you need to be reconciled with? Because that has to happen. It's not a maybe. It's a has to. And the other thing is kind of the working out of that. This is going to be talking a lot about exclusivism or thinking you're better than someone else or elitism. These are like like socially off-putting things. Like we're like, ugh, I don't like, I don't do that. That's, that's gross. I don't want to, you know. But who do you look down on? This is the kind of thing we all need to be. I'm not just talking to you. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'd be like, you know, who do we look down? You know, like that's the point. You know, I'm not saying I don't. I'm saying that we all do it. And this is what, God, this is what Paul is saying on God's behalf to us, is you can't do that. There's no looking down anymore. The, the foot of the cross is flat, and there's one level. And we're all at that level. This is what Paul is going to be. And all are welcome. Remember, he said, to all who believe, it's the salvation of God. But it's one level. It's not like the worst people and the better people. It's the one level. And he's inviting us to that. And it's hard to admit this. Last year when, um, Kayla, you can come on up here. Last year when this um, Asbury thing was happening, and Pastor Jeff just happened to move um, to Wilmore because he lived, he, he had gone to seminary there and some of the, uh, uh, some of the missions groups that he's a part of now are based there. And it just made sense to move back there. He had a community already. And he just happened to be across the street from this place where this thing started happening. And he texted me about it. Hey, you should come. And so Asaf, Kevin, and I went to visit Asbury, uh, <laughs> on Valentine's Day last year, we said bye to our wives and left. The, uh, um, and uh, um, uh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was on Valentine's Day. I do remember. But the, um, anyway, and I was internally having a little bit of a hard time because I really needed to, like I said, I needed to be around that. To, to be in a room of people where suddenly they weren't ashamed of the gospel. That can change you. I don't care if it's God that did it. Like, he's like, I have to do this now. Or if it's just people in the room. I don't know how these things work. I'm not sure anybody really does, but we could talk. But I needed to be around it for myself, okay? Like, very personally. And so we decided in, like, 15 minutes, we're just going to go. And then we went. And I've shared about it before. God did a lot of things in my life. But I had a hard time before I went because in my life, through my interactions with people, you like some people more, some people less. This is life, you know. But like I said, we can't be reconciled to God and not be reconciled to each other. There would be two key people in my life that I'd be like, I'd rather not see that guy ever again, right? That's okay to feel that. Maybe, maybe. But there was a high probability due to some strange chance and how God does things that both of those people could have been at this thing when I showed up. And it wasn't like organized. 
And I wasn't going to text him, you know, or whatever. You know, one of them, I don't even know. If, but whatever. I, I didn't want to run into him. So I was sitting there facing this thing of maybe going into some, like, awesome presence of God sort of life. You know how these things go. Even Paul's like, I'd love to come be with you guys because there's this awesome stuff going on, and I've heard about it, and I want to come do awesome stuff too, and that's great. It's not wrong to feel this way. And I was like, I want to go be a part of this. I need to touch God, and I've been in some revival stuff before, and I need to be around it just for myself. (laughs) But I really don't want that guy to be there, and I really don't want to see this other person either, like at all. And I felt like I was like, okay, I mean, okay, you can not go. And it was really messing with my head. I had to talk to a couple people about it. And God showed me something in that that we're going to see in this book. That that's not a choice that you're allowed to have. He's like, what are you holding against these people that I haven't forgiven? In my case, both these people had kind of wronged me pretty bad. So I could have gone, I have a list, and probably in this room, you'll be like, yeah, this is convincing. You know what I mean? But when you stand before the cross of God, you don't have a list anymore. Part of our <laughs> surrender and bow down, we were just singing, is surrendering that list. And I'm telling you, my list probably wasn't anything compared to some of y'all's lists. I'm, t- I'm, I'm sure of that. You know, I've had things in my life, but it's not anything probably like some of what y'all have been through. But the freedom that Jesus is offering is to also take that list. And praise God, during my time there, um, I think he did. I think I, I was able to surrender that to him and say, I'll trust you with it because, I, you know, but it was hard. And um, it's going to be hard for you because this world is wicked and evil. And the kind of things Paul's talking about are the kind of things people do. And they do to other people also. And those things leave marks. (laughs) But God's love is greater than that. It's greater than that. And who do we think we are to come and claim to freely receive the gift of life from the King Jesus? All hail King Jesus, we would sing. And I hate that guy. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't even make sense. And we live there probably most of the time. And God's offering us a chance to get free because he was showing me, he's like, you can go as deep in the Lord as you're willing to go with the person you like the least. This was how I summed it up in my head. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's in my head. And I think that's kind of what I got out of it. So there might be a better way to express it. I'll leave that to you. But um, if we're reconciled to Jesus, we have to be reconciled to each other. And it takes time. So we have plenty of time to go through this. So seeing that, um, what God has done, God doing things like this, there was nothing special about this, really. This could be here right now. This could be everywhere. We're suddenly just not ashamed of the gospel. And also, um, we close these Super Second Sundays by taking communion together and seeing what this represents. That Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace and costly grace. You know, 
Jesus operates in costly grace. But when he says, I forgive you, that costs him something. Or I love you. You know, he gave his life for you and me. And we're going to encounter this in Romans. When we were yet sinners, like when you're part of that list, just like Paul, you're a bad guy. And he's like, that's the one I want. And then he did everything he had to do to bring us to him. And he gives us this to remember him by until he comes. And he says in Corinthians that, uh, 1 Corinthians, that if you, that, uh, you're celebrating his death until he comes. Saying that, like, this is how we overcome the world. So we're going to close today by taking communion. A few things. Uh, I'm just going to have you all play quietly, and you can sing a little bit. Just keep quiet. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to break the bread and call up any four youth to come help serve. We, had, we do have the gluten-free Jesus plate as well, which are the little ones. The rest is gluten-filled Jesus. The, uh, and you, we do by intention where you take a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, and you eat it. Okay? You don't drink the cup thing. And uh, not that that's right or wrong. It's just how we do it. And uh, what I want to offer, what I want to do is this. They're going to play quietly. I'll pray and I'll invite you all to come. And then if you need to spend some time in prayer, the altar is open. There's the steps here. You can kneel and pray or sit in the front row and pray. We'll also have the prayer team people be available by the doors if you need prayer for something. And this is going to be the close of the service, okay? So as I pray right now, this is going to be the last thing said from up here. Then you come forward, receive communion, and then we'll go have lunch together. And if you have kids, make sure you go pick your kids up before you get the food and all that, all right? Because this is the beginning of our meal together. And we take the rest of the bread out to the table, okay? So, Father, do your work in our hearts. I pray that as we come to your table, that we come at the level foot of, the, of your cross, Lord, that we realize that we have nothing to offer in the sense of our righteousness, but that you have made us and that you love us in spite of that and that you have come in in a costly way given your life, your body, your blood for the sake of our redemption and ultimately for your glory, Lord, because of who you are. Because just declaring what you've done gives you glory. And Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts in this place, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of your gospel, that we would receive in the belief and faith of the reconciliation that you've done between us and our brokenness with you, Lord, and with each other. And I pray for healing of broken hearts to come into this room as we receive your body of blood from your table, Lord. We pray that you bless this and you bless this food that we take together, Lord, and just ask that you would be present in all of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we finish with this, come forward receive the body and blood of Jesus, and then um, go free and eat. But let's keep it a little quiet up front until we're sure that all the praying is done, okay?